0: about our series on three mindsets. Uh, We talked about who we are becoming is such an important part Of um, of, of, of how we view the year that we're going into, and how we grow as people often requires people who are outside of us, who love God, and maybe a little bit further along the journey to help us to see how we can grow in the things of God. And so we believe in one-on-one discipleship, because you can come to church on a Sunday morning, you can go to small groups, and those are really important uh, for for other reasons, and, and partly for discipleship reasons as well, uh, but there's nothing like one a person who has committed their time to being and journeying with you and to discovering with you the call of God in your life, the things that God is, is putting on your life, or, or maybe the questions that you have got, and to ask those questions, to, to, to answer those questions together, and uh, that's what discipleship is for. So we've got our discipleship drive also happening. I know there's a lot happening, but we want to set you up to win for 2024. We really believe that 2024 is a year and that God's are going to unleash uh, something new in each and every person and discipleship is going to be a huge part of that and so you can head over to the foyer there is a uh, on the info desk there will be a part for discipleship you can talk to my mom Tracy who will be there this morning about discipleship you can ask more questions about it there's some info sheets available for you as well. But if I were to ask you, what is your idea of a great new year? What, what, what would make next year amazing? Um, and, and as I was thinking about this, I think that every year when it comes towards the, the reflection time and considering what I'm uh, at thinking about and hoping for in the next year, I think that I can often summarise what I think a great year will be with one word, and that word is momentum. Momentum is great. Momentum is, uh, uh, is, is what happens when something is moving and it actually generates its own energy. And so it is just moving forward. When you have momentum in the right direction, things are happening and you don't need to keep pushing it on. And so I want momentum in my parenting. Every parent would love momentum with their parenting. The parents are a bit too quiet. You should be amening me for this. You you should be thinking momentum in parenting. Your child actually has the initiative to grow and to ask things, and and they've got manners. How amazing would that be? They don't fight against you. Your parenting has, has shaped them and formed them and molded them so that they are growing without you needing to nag them every single day. Which parent wants that? Thank you. Thank you for the honest parents. For those who are not honest, this is a value in our church. We are vulnerable. We let each other know what it's like. I want momentum in my marriage. I want momentum in my marriage such that we are growing closer in our vulnerability, in our intimacy without us needing to make it happen. I just want daytime to just be like this wonderful gush of love and, and everything is just working together. Who wants to have more fights in their marriage next year? No one. Because with momentum, your marriage is moving forward, powering forward. Everything you say is encouraging and wonderful and uplifting uh, for your spouse. I want to see momentum in our business. I want other people, I want clients to be coming through the door without me having to pay for flipping marketing. I want people uh, to uh, to want to work for us. I want the best people to want to work for us because we have a name. We have momentum. It's like, man, this business is awesome. I want, want to work for them. I want momentum in our church where every single Sunday there are people coming in wanting to find out more about God. I want our youth to be alive in, in, in our church, to be filled with the Spirit and evangelizing their schools. I want our kids to know so much about God, even at this early stage. It's a foundation that is set. I want you to love being in God's presence and to love one another without any uh, hesitation because there is momentum. Momentum is what happens when there is this forward movement. And, and there is this impetus. And that was a word as I was searching. Out. I like the word impetus. There's this impetus. There is this ability to, to charge through, to move despite obstacles. And, and it's amazing. I want momentum. Momentum is a beautiful thing. But the issue that I have discovered when I started thinking about momentum and thinking about the new year and all that I'm hoping for is that often I want momentum because it means... That I don't have to put in as much energy. I said, we're an honest church. I want momentum in my parenting because sometimes parenting requires so much energy to move things forward. I want momentum in this church because sometimes it feels like We're sowing and pushing, you know, there are so many activities and programs that we're running in the community, and sometimes it feels like when is it going to, when when is the fruit going to come? When is there going to be this momentum? We are in the universities, we're in the schools, we're doing all of this stuff. I want to see momentum because if there is momentum, it means that all that sowing has led to some kind of reward, and, and maybe we don't have to put in as much energy to push and to make things happen. And see... That's what, and I, as I was preparing for the series and I was preparing for this morning, I started to understand that sometimes I want momentum because I don't realize or I don't focus or I don't want to focus on what creates momentum. I want a momentum without actually necessarily thinking about what it will take to get momentum. See, to have momentum we need to put in more energy at the start than what sometimes feels worth it and then over time when the momentum has been created then you have you get to put in less energy than often feels like the fruit is um i'm losing my my words this morning i apologize for that but but momentum is created at the start is sustained uh, uh, over time with with this impetus that is created over time but the start is often really difficult and craig rochelle likens creating uh, momentum to launching a rocket he says you'll use a disproportionate amount of energy to get off the ground but once you overcome gravity you can maintain your momentum with minimal effort i like that last bit maintain momentum with minimal effort who wants to say amen to that but who wants to say amen to you use a disproportionate amount of energy to get off the ground now and, and, and I look into the next day and I see the things that I want to see, I see the things that God has put on my heart, and then I realize that we haven't got momentum yet. It scares me how much energy is going to be required to get things off the ground. But if I am worried about how much it's gonna to cost to get that momentum, I will never get that momentum. I will never get 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 the results that I have been hoping for. And the Bible actually speaks about this in uh, the phrase sowing and reaping. This is a really important mindset that I put before you, that we need to, as Christians uh, heading into the new year, be thinking about sowing and not so much about reaping. There are times that the reaping needs to happen, and that's great, but what I realize often is that we head into the new year with goals and aspirations and hopes, but we don't often think about what it's going to take, what it's going to cost us in order to get those hopes happening. And the Bible is really clear about this. In Galatians 6, verses 6 to 10, it says, "'Let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows,' that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from his Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith." And there's this, uh, so Galatians, Paul writes this letter about what the church is supposed to look like, about the grace of God that is available for each and every one of us. And he finishes off with a really practical uh, paragraph as we have read here. And this whole paragraph is about the idea that there is a principle that God has placed in our world and into each and every single one of our lives do not be deceived. He starts off with this phrase, do not be deceived. Because this principle is so easy, so simple, that sometimes we forget about it. We think that we are due more than we deserve because we think that there is this grace of God that is available for us. In fact, I think that this principle of sowing and reaping gets a bad reputation in some circles because of what is called the prosperity gospel, that if I give this money, I will receive this money back. If I do these good deeds, I will receive these good deeds back. And I literally was watching, not on TV, I think, was, I don't know where I saw it, but someone had posted up about this uh, prosperity teacher on the TV, and some, I don't know why, uh, prosperity, I think I know why. Prosperity teachers buy the, the midnight slots on your TV to talk to you because you are tired and you're not really thinking straight. And they tell you in that moment, this teacher literally said this, $300 is a significant amount of money. And if you sow $300, you're making a significant sowing into this ministry and you will reap a significant reward. He used it in that way. I was like, who in the world is actually sending $300 to this guy on the other side of the world? And then I realized it must be working. And the sad thing is that there is this deception that sowing and reaping is, 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 is maybe for us, the considered Christians, a false gospel gospel. But sowing and reaping is a principle that we need to pay attention to. We cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater when someone misuses the principle of sowing and reaping. And we need to be uh, careful that we don't throw out this principle because of exceptions to the rule. See, one of the problems with the principle of sowing and reaping is that it sometimes doesn't work. How many of you have ever put in effort into something just to see it completely fail? Yep. And you put in so much effort and you saw whatever it was, whether it was that assignment, that project, even that relationship, you put all that effort into it, all that money into it, and it didn't result in uh, uh, what you hoped it would be. And you go, I sowed into that. Where's the reward? Where is the reaping? And so we sometimes look at that and we go, well, maybe the principle of sowing and reaping doesn't work then. What I would like to put forward to you, church, is that we don't build our lives based on exceptions. We build our lives on principles, principles that are found in God's Word. So let me give you an analogy. Let's say I was training to do a marathon, which is highly unlikely, by the way, it will never happen not in my lifetime uh, it, if, if it happens it's because I probably died from trying and um, so it's after my death that in my anyway we I going on to that but I I, I dislike running I, my body not built for running and um, and and so whenever I get into a space where like I really should Get better at running because I do actually love sport, um, and often sport requires you to have some cardio and to be able to run. And so I want to get my cardio up. And one of the things that I find quite interesting is that when you get onto running at the f- at a start, it, the first run that you do after a while, or the first run that I do after a while, actually is half decent. Anyone discover that? You know, maybe it's because my body is rested. I haven't killed myself two days before. And so I'm actually running and I'm getting a decent time. I'm getting to a decent uh, distance, uh, d- decent to me, probably not decent to most of you. But, but I get there and I go, oh yeah, look, I'm on the right path. How many of you know the second run is the worst run that you've ever done? The first run is great. The second run is like, I don't know, the hellhounds of hell have, are holding you back and they are breathing fire into your lungs and making sure that you got stitches and muscles you didn't know you had. You are in pain and you are rolling to the finish line and it's easy in that moment to go, what is the point of continuing this training when I did so well at the first time but the second time was so Terrible. How many of you know that if you're training for a marathon, every time you get a worse time than the previous time that you ran, every time you quit, you stop yourself from being able to grow. And so I think that the principle of sowing and reaping is really instructive because it's not about the principle of giving one event and reaping one event. It, rather, it uses an agricultural analogy. It uses the principle of uh, uh, what you do as a farmer. As a farmer, there's a couple of things that you need to know because I'm really, really an expert on agriculture. (laughs) If you don't plant seed, you don't get a harvest. But even if you plant some seed, you might not get a massive harvest. How you plant, what you plant, the weather conditions, all of these all play a part in it. But the farmer knows that if they don't plant seed, they will not get a harvest. So some of us basing it on the exception that when I sowed that time, I didn't reap that time, so I will never sow again. You know what you're stopping yourself from ever doing? From ever reaping. Some of us think that the grace of God covers that But Galatians 6 tells us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. How many of you have ever gone to an exam time, myself included, where maybe you felt, I didn't study enough. I was too captured with all of these different things. And God, you are a God of grace and mercy. And please give me. God is not mocked. We shouldn't teach a gospel where our laziness, where our ill-discipline, is okay because God's grace covers it. No, God is not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. Now, I'm I'm wanting to be really careful here that I'm not presenting a sense that whatever you give, you will get double. But what I'm giving you a sense of is that if God is putting something big on your heart and you don't know how to get there, maybe what you need to do is to start sowing maybe you need to think about what you're putting into it because if you don't put anything into it you're not going to get anything out of it now sometimes when you give you're not going to get but over time if there is a discipline giving in the same direction there will be momentum and and that is something that beck and i have seen in our lives sometimes it's not about the one-off gives but it's the consistent giving that results in change and results in things starting to happen And there are many things in our church that it feels like we've been sowing for years. And I'm believing that next year we are going to see at least some of that momentum start to come back uh, to help us as a church. But what the principle is, what we think about when we plan into the next year is like, if we stop sowing in this direction, that means that we will not reap in that direction. Is that okay? and sometimes it is. Sometimes there is a change of direction that God is putting on your heart, but the main principle is this. What you sow, that you will reap. And Paul, in in this little paragraph, he talks about all sorts of sowing and reaping. I mean, I put the first uh, verse on. Can we put that back on, Anthony? Uh, The first verse is actually really, really, really important for all of us uh, to catch. Let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Amen. You guys are not getting that I'm just telling a little bit of a joke. But you know, I think that this is, or I thought about this, I was like, why did Paul put that specific line in there with the rest of the stuff? Look at this, because what you sow, you will reap. There's a teacher who's bringing you good things from the Word of God, so what do you do? You sow into it. You say yes, God. You know, Beck and I. Every time we go to another church, every time we go to a church conference, you know what we do first thing is to give. Why? Because I know I am going to receive, and I know there is going to be a reaping. And so, you know what? I want to maximize. I want to supercharge that receiving. So, what do I do? I give. Why do you think that there is a principle of the tithe? The principle of the tithe is not to slap you around a face. The principle of the tithe is about sowing and reaping. I'm going to sow into the Father's house and I'm going to reap from the Father's house. That is a principle that is there. So uh, Paul is saying, if you know that you have received good things from the Word of God and you don't want that to stop, if you don't want the goodness of God to stop in your life, you need to learn how to sow into it. And Paul teaches us that this is also not to do with just financial success. This is to do with life. He's saying, for the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will receive from the Spirit eternal life. And how do we do that? We do good things. Sowing is not just financial. It uses time. It uses love. It uses effort. And we talked about this last week. We are growing as people. It's not what we do, it's not what we produce, but it's who we are becoming. If you want to become the person that we were talking about last week, this is a good principle. What are you sowing? And so this morning, I I really hope that you're not going to build 2024 on exceptions, but you're going to build it on the principle. I I pray that you will consider how you are stepping into the new year. What are you sowing that you will reap? So maybe it is a bit of reverse engineering here. Think about what you want to reap. What what kind of life do you want to have? What what are the things that God is placing on your heart? What are the things that are important to you, or or, or more importantly, in my opinion, (laughs) important to God, And how are you going to sow into it? What are you going to literally do in order to reap from it? Good intentions, people, are some of the most useless things in the world when it's not backed up by action. You know, when we planted Lift Church eight years ago, there were lots of people with good intention telling us all sorts of stuff, but many of them didn't actually do anything to help us or or, or to support this ministry. And I was like, thank you for your good intention. I'm going to go a little bit straightforward here. We've had friends and people uh, and and acquaintances pop into this church and sit in these chairs and we go up to them and say, hey, how are you going? It's like, great. Oh, what brings you here today? Oh, we really want to support you and Beck. And I'm like, by sitting in a chair thank you did you do anything else did you love anyone did you care for anyone did you put a financial gift into the offering don't say you're supporting someone because my presence is the very glory of god it's like thank you but your good intentions is not backed up by action in the right direction if you want to see that relationship thrive You need to think about what you're doing to make that relationship thrive. You want to grow deeper in the Word of God? You need to think about how you are sowing. Remember, if you've never sown into the Word of God before, the start is going to require a disproportionate amount of energy for you to get anywhere. I've been reading my Bible uh, cover to cover over the last, I don't know, 10 years. You don't get to my level of understanding the Word of God if you've done it for three weeks. The grace of God is available, yes, but the grace of God is not available to ill discipline. The grace of God is not there to cover your laziness. It is there to take us beyond ourselves, and that's the beauty of it. When I sow, it feels like God is putting His hand on it and is supercharging what is taking place, and that's when the momentum happens. I know I'm going super practical, but this is, a, this is a series that I really felt like normally I love to unpack the Word of God, but I really felt like this series is about us setting ourselves up for the next year and understanding the deep mysteries of the Word of God is so important. But you know what? I want you to have those revelations on Tuesday. I want you to have God uh, turn up to your workplace on Wednesday. I want you to have breakthrough in your relationships on Friday. I want you to be able to do that, and it's not because I've opened up the Word of God and I've given you some nugget of wonderful revelation, but it's you actually actioning it out, sowing into those relationships, sowing into your workplaces, sowing into the things that God has placed on your heart. And so this morning, we're going to go super practical. uh, Host team, if we can get you to uh, hand out what I have created this week is something that I learned years ago. And it's called the life accounts. I've made a very simple uh, uh, way of of thinking about what you are sowing. Because one of the things that we need to remember about sowing is that what you sow, you will reap. And a few weeks ago, I, I felt like... I was reminded about this in a really funny way. Uh, uh, Sam and I, or or our family, we put on uh, um, some worship music by a kid's minister from years ago called the Donut Man. And And we just happened to put on an album called The Farmer and so it was all about farming analogies in the bible and they got to this song where they were talking about sowing and reaping and, uh, and in particular about the fruit of the spirit and and so the donut man uh, started singing this song i can't remember the tune but it says if you sow an apple seed what do you get an apple tree if you sow an orange seed what would you get and if you sow into the spirit, what do you get? The fruit of the spirit. And I was like, oh, it's so simple. But some of us are sowing in the wrong things and getting the wrong tree, and we're wondering what's going on. Some of us are sowing into philosophies and lifestyles that are actually sounds good, but it's not actually biblical, and we're reaping the fruit of that. And, and, and you've got to realize that God's not gonna chase that out of your life, it's about changing the way that you sow. I'm really worried about some of the directions that our culture is taking, the individualism The hyper-positive psychology, I was talking to a lecturer that I really respect this week, and he said there is a positive psychology that is toxic that has gone through our culture. We say that we cannot say anything mean to anyone else because it would tear them down. We only can say positive things. And we stop teaching our children about perseverance and grit. We give them participation medals because it makes them feel good. And he says that positive psychology is actually ruining our nation. And I 100% agree with him. There are things that sound good, but you need to match it with the Word of God. Anyway, that was a bit off track. So we've got these worksheets. I was actually just killing time. That was part of the plan. You've all got our worksheets now, and in this worksheet, uh, you will see life accounts, and you will see I have given you six different columns, and um, you can do anything between uh, a suggested five to seven. So you can do a bit more. You can do a bit less. And what these life accounts are is different aspects of your life that you want to sow into. Now, you can have many, many, many different areas of your life. You could have 20 different areas of your life. But what this whole worksheet is about is that understanding that if I try to sow my time and my energy into 20 different areas of my life, I will likely end up failing at most of them. But if I sow deliberately into five to seven of them, I will likely see great reward by the end of the year. And so you write these accounts down. So one of the things that you might do is that you, uh, some of the different accounts that you can think of is marriage, or, or, or family, or education, or work, or God, your, your relationship with God, your relationship with the church, whatever it is that makes sense to you, you and prayerfully consider this church. Don't just do this for the sake of like, oh, you know, I want to grow my business. So I've got seven accounts and it's all different businesses that I run. No, no, no. Consider that you are more than your business or you're more than those relationships. You don't write down your, your six best friends that you need to sew into next year. No, no, no. Put them all under one category of friendship because your life is more than those friends. Maybe personal growth should be an area in your life. And and so you think about the accounts. I love this because it made me, the first time I thought about it, it made me consider what are the different areas of my life that I should be growing in, that I should be investing into. And then from there, write down some goals, maybe one to three goals for that particular account. And make this about what you see Imagine, use your godly imagination. God, help me to see what this relationship can be. Help me to see what this area of my life could be like. Write down those goals. And then from there, you write down three behaviors, three things that you are actually going to do. And here is my suggestion. You write these three behaviors down, and they need to be something that is A, measurable, and or be calendarizable. That is a word that I completely created by myself. But you need to either be able to measure it somehow, like a dollar amount, or you need to be able to put it into your calendar regularly. For example, if you want, if one of those areas is your personal health, and your goal is to uh, see yourself—I don't know—like quite often, uh, I've kind of got this as my eighth. Life account I, I never quite get there but but my personal health I want to drop down to 70 kilos so that's the goal I want to get down to 70 kilos so what do I do well one of them might be pay for a gym membership and actually do that take that off and go to the gym three days a week at this time and then what I would do is that I would take my calendar out and then I would put into my calendar those three days a week that I will go to the gym is locked in as an appointment with myself so that when other things come up in life I can say I've got an appointment. See one of the reasons why we get filled up with things that just happen by default is because we don't plan into it. And so the time that you were meant to go to the gym, you end up meeting Joe Bloke at the patisserie eating three tarts. And then you wonder why you're getting fat, if I can say it that way. It's because you haven't put it a significant amount of time and investment into your life. And I have been there so many times. I I do my workouts first thing in the morning. Why? Because it's the one time that I know I will not be distracted. The only thing I'm fighting against is the fact that I don't want to get out of bed. And so what do I want? Do I want 20 more minutes of sleep or do I want to get fitter? That's something that I have to consider. I come back to my goals as my personal health. I want to be able to run around with Sam when he hits 10 years old. I want to be able to keep up with him as he goes through school. I want to be cheering him on at his sports carnivals. I want to be keeping up with him in the park. And that means I need to get up and get my butt in gear, because that is more important. I am sowing into a future that I prefer. I'm sowing into a future that I want. And so we need to think about these things. Now, let me give you four ways that calendarizing, four things that happens when you calendarize these behaviors. The first thing is that you are setting yourself a rhythm to follow. You iron out the highs and lows that come with your emotions. There are some days I feel absolutely rubbish about myself and it affects the things that I want to do. But when I see it in my calendar or if I locked it into a rhythm, I know I do it because that's what I promised myself that I would do. So you're ironing out the highs and the lows. You don't wait to be motivated. Motivate yourself now. What kind of life do you want to live? And then you work out those behaviours and you do those behaviours. Okay, the second thing that happens is that after a season of maybe six to 12 months, you can gauge for yourself whether those behaviors actually work or not. You can actually gauge, oh, me doing this kind of work actually isn't leading to anything. Another health analogy is that uh, you can do a certain kind of workouts and find out if it works for you or not. Like for a season, I did a lot of running And it didn't help me to lose weight, because running doesn't really help you lose weight. I do weights now, and I'm losing a ton of weight. Why? Because that works for my body. There are things that I can gauge, because I have something that I tried to measure. So... You can do six months of reading your Bible first thing when you wake up. Six months later, first thing when I wake up is terrible. Then the next six months, do it before you sleep and see how that works. You've got data that helps you make better decisions that are not based on your whim and your fancy, is based on objectively looking at your life and building into your life. So after a season, you get data. The third thing is that you also end up finding out how much time you actually have to do stuff. The number of people that over our ministry said, I don't have enough time with my spouse, is like, have you put in a regular date time? A scheduled date time. Oh no, you know, if we schedule it, then it will feel like, you know, it's forced upon us. So you're saying you don't like to make sure that you have time with your spouse every two weeks, every week. You know you you calendarize it and you put it in and suddenly it's like I've made time for the things that matter I've made time and when you're doing this and you look at these accounts consider this if you don't do the things that you said you're gonna do that account could go bankrupt that account could go nowhere This is the reason why we need to get super practical about it because God's not going to heal a marriage that you're not sowing into. God's not going to heal your parent child relationship that you've never put into. God's not going to suddenly give you the gift of being a prophet or a teacher if you've never opened the Word of God. It's gone really quiet in the room. God is not mocked. What you sow, that you will reap. And so you will actually learn that when you kind of think about it, can I actually work out? Think about it this way. I need to lose five kilos versus I need to work out half an hour three times a week. Which one sounds easier? Which one actually sounds doable? I mean, if you're thinking you're going to lose five kilos by literally taking a knife and cutting off something, maybe that's going to be easier. Uh, but when you go, I, I can, I can actually do three times a week. As a parent, I did some research and it looks like 90 minutes across the whole week of deliberate time with Sam is what sets apart great dads from other dads. 90 minutes. Can I do 19 minutes a week? How do I find 19 minutes a week? 15 minutes a day for like, Eight days, not possible. (laughs) 20 minutes. 20 minutes over five days, and I'm doing better than the best dads. Five days, 20 minutes a day with my kid. That sets me up to be a way better dad. And during those 20 minutes, I know in my head, this is Sam time, not phone time. Put your phone aside. Not just being in a room, but actually being, interacting with Sam. Can I do 20 minutes of that? heck yes, I'm a grown man, and I've got control over my decisions in the moment. So you will actually discover, oh, I can actually do stuff. I can actually get there. And the fourth thing that I think is massive in this world is that you can actually minimize your anxiety and worry when you plan out your life. You can minimize your anxiety and worry. Anxiety is about facing threats in the future. So in your heart, that's what's going on, in your emotions, you're getting anxious because you're thinking about potential threats in the future, and worry is about planning to make sure that those threats don't become reality. So when you plan, you are examining the things that you want to see happen. You're thinking about the threats to these different accounts. For example, when it comes to my marriage, there's a threat that we become uh, uh, so blasé about this relationship. There, there's this threat that we don't like each other. There is. I'm just talking about threats, right? Anything can be a threat. But when I plan into this, I'm actually fighting against that anxiety and worry that keeps popping up because what can I tell it when it happens? When I feel anxious, I can say, I've done uh, what I need to do. When the worry pops up, have you done everything you need to do? You can say, yes. So stop worrying. Oh, I don't know how my relationship is going. Well, have you calendarized time? Yes, we, we have date time once a week. And it's like, okay, cool. So you're actually doing more than most people already are doing. What, what's the worry? You know, you can short circuit some of these things. One of the things that I found really interesting this week as I was uh, doing some of my reading is that in the Old Testament, uh, it draws from this cultural understanding of uh, the ancient Near East. So you're talking about Egypt, you're talking about Mesopotamia, you're talking about Babylon, and, and there are all these common cultural uh, understanding of certain themes and certain words. Now, the word rest in that culture, in that day, is not sleeping. And so when we read the creation account of seven days and God rested on the seventh day, it's not because God was so exhausted from creating the world. Rather, the word rest in that context, in the cultural context, is that He has done everything that He needs to order and stabilize His world. Order and stability is what rest is about. Some of us are not rested because there is no order and stability in your weekly rhythms of life. Some of you don't sleep because there is no order in your thinking, there is no order in your daily habits, there is no rhythm in your life and you've not put them in place and that creates the anxiety and the worry. So when you take the time to actually plan and do the things that are important, what happens is that you are making order and you're making stability for your life that will actually guard you against anxiety and worry. So are you going to do the work? Are you going to sew? When I do this exercise with people, I love the light bulb moments that people have. Because it's like, oh, is that all it takes? Is that all I have to do? Yes. At least do something. Do you know that it takes 12 minutes a day for you to read through the whole Bible? someone needs to put that down into their behavior 12 minutes a day will get you through the whole bible in one year if that's too much for you halve it read the bible six minutes a day and you read it over two years i think that's doable for some of us. i think that's doable for all of us you see when we bring things down to little behaviors the sowing feels like a lot of work at times but if you consistently sow, I guarantee that God is not mocked. You will reap. The momentum will come in the right season after you have sown. Sometimes it feels disproportionate, but look at what you're trying to build towards. You know, for many years, I struggled with my Bible reading because I was like, I don't have an outlet for it and nothing was going on, but I continued to do it, partly because my parents forced me to when i got to a day when i needed to preach every week guess what i've sown for years people i don't stand here as someone who didn't do the work the only reason i can stand here and lead a church for eight years plus 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 hopefully is because i've been sewing and you can do the same you can sow into your relationships. You can sow into your life. You can sow into the things that God has placed in your heart. Some of you are called to be evangelists in your workplaces, and you need to start to think about how you sow into those relationships. Some of you are called to do ministry within the church. Get yourself ready. Sow into it. Get yourself into the environments that's going to get you ready for it. Some of you need to sow into your, your parenting because your child is going to be going through some significant challenges over the coming years as all of our children do. Start to sow into it. Find resources to help you learn how to sow. Whenever you don't know how to sow, that's why we got discipleship. Go talk to a discipler. I want my marriage to thrive. Go talk to someone. Here's another tip. See someone who has got momentum in their life and ask them how they got that. Someone's marriage is doing more. I love getting around parents where I see their grown kids and they are thriving. I'm like, tell me more. What did you do? How did you do that? I get around that. I lap that up. Why? Because sometimes wisdom is not from within. It's from people who have gone through and have done the sowing. They can tell you, do this and don't do that. I've gone over my time. I'm sorry about that. Can I suggest start this? Take a day out of your schedule. There are two months left of the year. You can use one of those days there's 60 days left in the year, use one to start to plan this out. Pray, maybe even fast as you're leading up to it, and consider what you are sowing into the new year. Take this as a mindset. I'm not looking for rewards. I'm not looking for immediate reaping, but I know what I can control is not the reaping. What I control is the sowing, and as I sow, things are going to start to happen. Can I just finish off this morning by by praying for you I really sense that there are many people here there are some people here that are so fraught with anxiety and worry am I doing enough am I doing enough am I doing enough am I doing enough am I doing the right things can I just pray that the wisdom of God the Spirit of God will be speaking into your hearts can I pray that you will get ideas and strategies on how you can sow into the next year? Can I pray that, that there would be a rising of faith in your heart that I can do this and I can trust God with the rest? Can we do that, church? All right, let's close our eyes. God, I pray. I pray that, God, that we won't be stubborn people. I pray that we won't get stuck in our old ways. But God, as you are calling us to become more and more like you, I pray that we start to sow into the things that really matter. I pray that, God, that you begin to speak into people right now, the accounts that they are meant to be sowing into. I pray that, God, that there would be a strategy that comes into their minds and into their hearts. I pray that, God, that where there is anxiety and worry, I pray that instead of that, that there will be wisdom, that there will be peace. That God, that you begin to direct their hands and direct their feet towards the things that will build momentum in their life. God, I pray that that, that we will be faithful sowers in our life. I pray that as a church, we will be faithful sowers in the things that you've entrusted to us the relationships that you've entrusted to us, uh, the giftings and the talents and the skills that you've entrusted into us. I pray that God, that you begin to speak into those things even right now. And for those that are so worried about what the future holds, I pray that above all, that they will see that, God, that you are above it all. You are sovereign and that you are there. You are not mocked. You can see the beginning to the end. And, God, that you you, you are able to give grace where there is grace required, That, that we can come to you when we have tried, and we can know that, God, that you are making all things available for us. And i pray this in your name god whatever i've said that is from my flesh i pray that it just falls to the ground but the things that are from you i pray that it hits home right now it brings conviction and it brings transformation in the name of jesus amen oh thank you so much church super practical maybe maybe find someone that you can say i'm going to do this in the next week and i'm going to talk to you about it all right let's let's do this because i believe that the season for sowing is here and it's going to bring about great reaping in the coming year. Thank you so much, Chip. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.